Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Grant Ginder is the author of Let's Not Do That Again, a novel. He's actually the author of five novels, including The People We Hate at the Wedding, which has been adapted into a major motion picture starring Allison Jenny, Kristen Bell, and Ben Platt. Originally from Southern California, Grant received his MFA from New York University, where he teaches writing. Welcome, Grant. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Let's Not Do That Again. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Let's Not Do That Again could refer to our ineffective Wi-Fi snapshots yeah. in which we find ourselves. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very versatile title, uh, title in that way, right? It can refer yes. to a lot of things. Yes. Okay. Could you please tell listeners what your book is about? I would love to. So the book follows the last uh, chaotic weeks of a New York Congresswoman's campaign for Senate. Her name is Nancy Harrison, and she should be a shoe in She comes from this sort of this long political lineage, and she's a rising star in her party. But as they get closer to Election Day, as the campaign gets closer to Election Day, a curveball is thrown. And that, that curveball is that her daughter, from whom she is estranged, surfaces in a viral video. And in the video, she is throwing a champagne bottle through the window of a very famous French bistro. And so... Fouget? Fouget? How do you pronounce Fouget? You know what? I, I like my, my, my very like bad French. I, I would say Fouquet's, but every time I say oh, that, Fouquet. French people I know... But every French people I know, person I know, is like it's actually Fouquet's, and I'm like, but that doesn't oh, follow the rules of your own language. But so, so your all of which is to say, your guess is as good as mine. Okay. But as you can imagine, an event like that for a very famous, for a very famous congresswoman, 
throws the campaign into even more turmoil. So, so to that end, the book is about, obviously it's about political dysfunction, but it's as much about, uh, about family dysfunction and the way that those two things come together for this family. I love it because when you have the book open, you have the congresswoman basically watching her daughter and having it be on all the news and being like, I would recognize those cheekbones anywhere because they're my <laughs> I gave her to those cheekbones. You know, it was so funny. Anyway, your, your sense of humor it's a, it's like a dry wit. It comes to right away. So it's your, I just love the way you write. It's a great, great oh, style of writing. Thank you. I appreciate that. I it feel, appreciate it feels that. very cinematic type of writing. Do you know what I mean? Like I can immediately <laughs> picture myself in the kitchen with her and all of that stuff. So it's funny. I, yeah, I tend to be like a very, very scene driven writer and I becoming, I, I find, you know, I'm working on a new project right now and I find that I'm becoming an even more scene driven writer to the point where I like, when I do have to back up and give it a little, you know, exposition or backstory or anything like that, it's becoming harder and harder for me, which, which, you know, I think is going to create some hurdles with this next book that I'm writing, but particularly with let's not do that again, but the, the, I wanted the scope of the story to be incredibly different, right? It's a, it's a New York story. It's a Paris story. It's a political story. And so, so writing these, these very vivid, very, um, you know, very quick scenes was, was how I set out to write the book. So I'm, I'm glad that they resonated. I have to say, I just, so I wrote this memoir recently and I had to do it that, when I thought about it as a whole project, it was really overwhelming. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write it in scenes. I'm just going to yeah. take a scene. And it made it so much easier. I'm like, I could write 20 scenes. That's like no problem. I could write yes. 40 scenes. Yeah. But exactly. a, book, a book seemed overwhelming. Right. When you put it in the context of the book, when you, when you think about all the connective tissue that has to go into, you know, to putting scenes together, to connecting those scenes, it becomes overwhelming. But when you think of the individual scenes, at least for me, and I'm, I'm glad that you go the same way, that it ends up becoming really exciting, right? Yes. Because you can, you can visualize these moments and start picturing these moments in a way that, that the book, the story starts feeling more real. So I'm, I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Of course, my scenes are my life. So I, but the ability to then for you to imagine them and figure it out and have it all link up for a reason, you know, that's, that's a real gift. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so where did the idea for this come from? So you, from like a, I'm hoping it, I'm hoping it came from you walking down the street and being like, what would happen if I threw a champagne bottle in here? <laughs> you know, it kind of did. No, uh, it, uh, I think it came from like a lot of different where or, or a, lot of, a lot of different places. What I wanted to write, I live in New York. I wanted to write like a, a, what I felt was like a quintessential New York novel. I think that, you know, this, this aims to be that with just like a little dash of Paris. I think that, that, sort of conceptually the idea came from I, I you know I started thinking it I started thinking about it maybe in like 2018 maybe then the end of 2017 where I was looking at politics in the United States and this thing American democracy which my entire life I had taken for granted right it was like water or food or air it was I was seeing it threatened from left right and center and so I started asking myself a question of you know how far would would I a, a, seemingly sometimes rational person go to <laughs> to protect this thing that I, I'm now realizing is so important and and is not granted right that in fact needs to be protected and that question 
is a question that this family, the Harrisons, ultimately are faced with towards the end of the book. And, and the, the, how they decide to answer that question is going to have, you know, repercussions for the rest of their lives. So, so that was kind of like the, the, the seed that started it. And, it. and it kind of grew from there. Families and families' dysfunctions are always really interesting to me. And so kind of smashing up family dysfunction against this very public political dysfunction was was an exciting challenge for me in seeing again how those how those dynamics play out. I'm really interested in in the ways that you know you have politics kind of on the macro level in the sense, but you also have politics on the micro level and the, the various negotiations that are constantly taking place between siblings, between parents and children, and how there are always those struggles for power even within a just a given family was was really interesting to me as well. Have you ever had any political ambitions of your own? I, I have not. I, you know, I spent, I, and the reason is, well, I, I don't know if I ever had political ambitions. I think, you know, like, like the trouble I got into in college, like kind of killed all of that. But I think that. Um, Wait, I think we need I, to hear more. I think we need to go yeah. deeper into that. That sounds really well, interesting. Be, that's another book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, so I, I did, I worked in DC right after graduation. When I was in college, I graduated, or I'm sorry, I interned for a, a congresswoman, both in her district office in California, and then also on Capitol Hill, where I like, you know, like gave tours to the Capitol and like, like forgot facts and made them up to these like poor tourists who were wandering on the Capitol. And so, and so I did that. And then after I graduated, I moved back to DC and I worked as a speechwriter for John Podesta at the Center for American Progress. And it was a job that I absolutely loved. I thought it was fascinating, but I was is I was like really bad at the political stuff. Like, you know, atrociously bad at it. I feel like DC is a a city where you it, it like trades on knowing things first and access and and I just like did not care to know anything first. Like I didn't care <laughs> about like what information was coming out of like some subcommittee. Though, you know, today I actually am following the news about committee hearings, but like, <laughs> I, like before, you know, some like subcommittee on agriculture, like I just didn't care. But what I was really interested in was my husband always sounds like I say, say I sound like such a nerd when I say this, but kind of the, the like political nature, or I'm, I'm sorry, the, the narrative nature of politics and how particularly with speech writing that the best speeches are ones that tell stories mm-hmm. and use stories as as a rhetorical means. And so, you know, use stories to change a mind or to to make a new policy. And so that, I think, studying the arc of an argument, essentially, is what ultimately drove me to write fiction. I had always been a huge reader of, you know, of, of novels, was like a real nerd in that way, continue to be a real nerd in that way. I'm here at the beach for three days and I brought four books with me. Oh my and gosh. so you're, you're literally, you're exactly like me. I took my I daughter to a birthday party and I was like, I'll be on for two and a half hours. And I packed three books and I was like, I'm not yeah. going to read three books. I'm not even going to read one book. But what no, if? <laughs> I know. But what if? What if I find that? What if time I find time? That yes. Time? Yeah. What then I'm I going to read time? it. Yes. Yeah. And so, so I, I, I that, that the storytelling aspect was kind of always there for me. And then the, the politics, the writing, the speeches really got me to focus on, on, on narrative structures. I actually think I, I later went on and got my, my MFA at NYU. I actually think that I learned more about narrative arcs from speech writing than I did in any of my MFA classes. Maybe you shouldn't say that out loud. I know. I know. I, sh- I know. I know. I know. I, I, I learned how to be, I, was, I learned how to be a writer. 
when I was getting my MFA. <laughs> I, but narrative arts made me speechless. Okay. <laughs> Wait, now I'm really curious. What four books did you bring on your vacation? Okay. So I brought, this is a very good question. I brought either or, which I finished last night, which was like, absolutely. I, I'm like, I, I, she, I, see, I like finished the book in bed last night. We like got in late. I got in the bed. I finished the book and then stared at the ceiling for an hour smiling. I, oh, love, I love that writing. feeling. I love her writing. So it was one of those things where it's like, I can't sleep. And I, I usually panic when I can't sleep, but like I couldn't sleep and I was so happy I couldn't sleep. So I could just think about the book. Um, wow. So okay. I brought that. I brought A Calling for Charlie Barnes, the um, the Joshua Ferris novel that came out last year. I love his work. I didn't get around to reading it when it first came out. So I'm excited to read that. And then Tracy Flick Can't Win. And then I brought Shuggy Bane with me. I haven't read Shuggy Bane yet. And so I brought Shuggy Bane with me, which are like, these are like, you know, like ambitious books to read over a three-day period. So I, you know, but I, um, last year when I came, I remember I read Willie King's Writers and Lovers. I read- I loved Writers and Lovers. Loved. Loved it. Loved Mm -hmm. it. I mean, it was the sort of thing where I had to be like, like my nieces and nephews were like pulling me off the beach. They're like, the sun's going down. Like, it's time for you to come back inside. But I, I loved it. So good. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is the best feeling. Okay, we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. I think that's what we all do, like every time we open it up. You know, like open up a book. It's like, you never know. Is this going to be the one that's going to keep me up and I'm going to talk about it for the next 20 years? Or is it one that like, I don't even get more than 20 pages, so... Right. You never know. I've had, I will say that, like, I mean, knock on wood, I've, I've had a, like a really good streak recently. Like I read either or, and then right before that, I read Sorrow and Bliss. That, okay. Have you read Sorrow and yes, Bliss? Yes, I loved I mean, it. Meg Mason? It, yes. yes. Like, so I, like I was in jury duty. I remember like waiting to be called back for one year. And I was like alternating between like, 
laughing and tearing up and laughing and tearing up. It was so expertly done. She was on this podcast also, and I loved it. Do you know Nick Hornby is writing that screenplay? What? Yes. Oh my God. That is going to be amazing. Yeah. I interviewed him too. And he told me that. (laughs) And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. He's perfect for it. You're actually the first person I've talked to about that. And that was like months ago. I mean, I put it out. I put the podcast out. Like nobody said anything to me. And and I was like, oh Oh my my gosh. gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is going to be fantastic. That's great news. Yeah. Grant, you should have a book club. Do you have one? And I don't know about it. (laughs) I don't, but now I'm sort of, now I'm, now I'm like kind of inspired to start one. You should totally start one. First of all, I love all your picks and they're like, so like, I, I would love to like follow along with all the stuff you're reading. Cause I feel like uh, there's so many things that I love too. So yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, maybe that'll be my summer work between, you you should totally do it. Okay. Okay. I'm inspired. I'm inspired. Totally. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. Wait. So back to you. Back to your back to, book. I know, back to my book. <laughs> back to your book. Okay, so you write in scenes. Tell me, well, I want to hear actually about your next book and we can come back, but you you encourage me. What What is, inspi- not encourage, what is the word? I don't know. You piqued my interest. What is the next sure. book that's coming? The next book that's coming, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty early stages into it, but it follows a, um, it takes place in, in the 90s and like the late 90s in Laguna Beach, California, which is where I grew up. And it, it follows the summer and the life of this one family in Laguna Beach. And it's, it's different than my previous three books in that the entire book is in first person. And is told from the point of view of the the youngest son who is 15 when the book opens. It's told from his point of view. He's looking back about 20 years later on this summer where there are a number of different things that happened. And that's like about all I'm ready to kind of share about it right now. Um, the, the, the tentative title for it is Beefcake. <laughs> which there, there's like a story behind. But that's the, that's the working title right now is Beefcake. That's so amazing. Wait, okay. So can you go back? You left us off with getting your useless MFA, then what happened in your life? <laughs> it was not, you're right. I shouldn't have said that, particularly in a podcast that I'm sure a lot of people with MFA, no, it's probably totally people who I know, listen to. I, so after I got my MFA, I worked on, actually for very briefly, for about a year as a literary agent with it, it is a small agency that is now part of a, a much larger agency here in New York. And it was, I had wonderful colleagues on, it was totally eye-opening and a, like a very cool experience. I, I, I'm in awe of people, and I think that there are a few of them out there, like Bill Clegg. I mean, who are who are able Love to, Clegg. yeah, and his work is incredible. But who are able to both kind of be on the business side of this crazy business and also be producing art. For me, it was really difficult both just finding the time to write, but also you're in a situation where you're kind of seeing how the sausage gets made, right? And you're you're seeing contracts and you're seeing kind of what work goes where. And and that for me, it was really hard to divorce myself, like to those, kind of t- keep those two parts of my mind separate. And so again, I did that for, for about a year. And then this position opened up in the expository writing program at NYU for a, a full-time contract faculty member. And I, I applied and, and, and got that. And I, uh, I've been there now for a decade. I just finished my, my 20th semester, which is, which is pretty wild, but I love it. I love it. It's not creative writing. It's, it's writing essays, which, which I find actually, I, you know, when I was getting my, my useless MFA, I'm kidding. When I was getting my <laughs> MFA, 
I NYU has an opportunity for if you if you while you're getting your MFA, if you want to teach like an intro to fiction and writing course, you can do that for undergraduates, which I did, and I absolutely loved. Weirdly, I find that I teach I like teaching writing for for essays even more than that. Uh, you know, I mean, like as, as someone who reads novels, and, and, and like you were saying, like you don't even know if a novel is going to speak to you when you pick it up. That doesn't necessarily mean that the novel is bad. It's just like not for you. And so I found that, like, when my students were turning in stories that just like weren't for me, and I was like, I can't really tell you why they're bad, right? Like, I felt like I didn't know how to be effective in that situation. But with essays, you know, what's what's interesting is that you 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 can see this growth, right? You can like start talking to them a little bit more about structure and about the ways to form an argument and to write a thesis. Interestingly enough. I think that in the same way that that writing speeches turned me into a fiction writer, I've had to use my fiction writing skills to talk about writing essays to my students, if that makes sense, because I end up writing, I, I write so much more fiction than I do essays. And so that idea of a narrative arc that I, you know, that I kind of first learned in speech writing and now really think about when I'm writing fiction, I also apply to the teaching of essays. Like an idea has a narrative arc, right? And they're in the same way that a character is affected by different events in their life over the course of a story. An idea is affected by, you know, different pieces of evidence, different moments of reflection over the course of an essay. And so I've learned, I think, over the past decade that the two, you know, fiction writing and expository writing are in fact much more similar than than I once thought. Hmm. You know, I recently got pitched a book called Undelivered, I think it was called, and it's about all the speeches okay. that were written for people and that they never ended up giving and how oh my gosh. history might have changed had they been given. What a fascinating book. Yeah. Undelivered. I'll send you the, I think it's called Undelivered. Undeliverable. I'll look it up. I can send it to you. Yeah. Oh my God. I would love, I would love to read something like that. As we're talking, by the way, I had this new idea, which is (laughs) you could do a podcast for my Zcast network and call it Grant's Book Club or something like that or whatever you want to call. And you could have people read along with you and then like do a podcast either with the author or you could just talk about the books or, or have a, Oh my God. Something like that. Like my, that would be like my dream come true. Like literally to just like nerd out about books. (laughs) <laughs> this like, is my I, I feel I'm almost getting offended by your frequent use of the word nerd because that is then me because all I do is talk about books and, like, read oh, books no. and like, I take I take such pride in that label that I use it as a I almost as a compliment for myself when I call myself like a nerd. Okay. Well you're taking me down with you, so thank you for that. But if you are really interested, we should oh talk God, about yeah. it because that could be I really would fun. Love to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. I would love to talk about it. Okay. Absolutely love to. All right. Well yeah. uh email off offline off after yeah. this you have my I'm, you have my email and stuff now right i don't but okay. i can get it's, it from your publicist or something yeah 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 perfect, okay. perfect. I'll, I'll find you i'll find you yeah. i'll track you down <laughs> <laughs> okay last question what advice do you have sure. for aspiring authors oh gosh i think that the most important piece of advice that i give people and that i often have to tell myself is to write the story that you need to tell as opposed to the story that you think you should tell. Twice now I've written books, and I mean like full manuscripts, of books that were the books that I thought I should be writing at a certain point in my career, or because they were more akin to the books that I was seeing on the bestseller list, or you know, kind of like the grand literary lions were writing. And both times they didn't sell. And to cleanse my palate, in those moments, I wrote the book that I wanted to write mm. and they sold. 
one of which was the people we hate at the wedding, and then one of which was, let's not do that again. I mean, with People We Hate at the Wedding, I spent four years working on a book that ended up being 190,000 words. That was this sprawling historical epic, you know, that I started it when I was getting my MFA. And I really thought it was sort of like the, the, the it was going to be like this very serious literary fiction. And we went out, my agent and I went out with it to just a few people. And there were, no one picked it up. There were like positive responses, but no one really picked it up. And then, so my agent came back and was like, you know, why don't you work on editing it a bit? And I just, I was like, I can't look at this again. So I'm just going to, I'm going to just take a month working on this other idea. People hated the wedding that was like funny and gay and like had the sort of characters that I see in my daily life and are interested in and are interested in. and. I wrote in one month turned into it. I wrote it in like nine months. And it, cause it was just like, this was the thing that I want to write. And I think that that comes across both in the prose and in the story and your attitude towards the characters when it's not the thing that you're writing because you think that's what the industry is wanting you to do, but rather it's the thing that that is true and is representative of you and your position within the world. Amazing. Okay. This has been great. I have this vision of turning you into a full-on bookfluencer and like, <laughs> I don't know why I've decided to make this like a little cause of mine, but anyway. Okay, I'm into keep, it. We'll keep I would, let's absolutely say touch. I am again, I'm so sorry about the, the tech no, in the beginning. I'm glad. No I'm worries. glad that this, this window I'm sitting, I'm like, it's I wish perfect. you could, I'm like sitting it all on worked out okay. Like, okay. Okay. Good. It's good, perfect. Good, 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 good. Okay. We'll stay in touch. Well, Thank I'll get in so touch with you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Perfect. Perfect. I'm around. Okay. So fun. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at moms don't have time to read books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 